Or someone once gave the following advice. Always read something that will make you look good if you die in the middle of reading it. Now, I assume that I'm going to die reading a book about a former prime minister or about cricket, which will, uh, yeah, you won't be interested in that, but there we are. It's Harold Wilson at the moment that I'm reading about, in case you are interested. But anyway, as we come to the, the final section of 2 Timothy, we remember that the Apostle Paul, he knows that he's going to die soon. And in fact, the words that we're reading today are probably some of the last words of the Apostle Paul that we have written down. Now, please turn back there now. It's page 1197. The verses won't be on the screen today. Uh, please turn them to them in, uh, in your Bible or, or on a device. 2 Timothy, the last part of chapter 4, page 1197 in the church Bible. And in some ways, and I don't know if you thought this when, when Rue was reading, it would be easy to overlook this section. Is there anything really important in there? Do these verses really speak to us today? Am I going to get a whole sermon out of those verses? Well, they're in the Scriptures, and remember that we've seen in chapter 2 that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, the section that we're in today illustrates, I think, all that Paul has been writing to Timothy about. And it gives us a window into his model of ministry that we might learn from it. And we're going to approach these verses today that were read earlier through, through three lenses. And they all overlap and, and, and interlinked. But we see three, through three lenses, true humanity, true church, and true grace. True humanity, true church, and true grace. So firstly, true humanity. One of the things that I love about these verses and similar sections often at the end of Paul's other letters are, are that they give us a window into some very ordinary aspects of life as a human being. We might think that the, the apostles lived on some kind of super spiritual plane that wasn't really touched by the ordinary things of life, but no. Verses like this tell us that that couldn't be further from the truth. Paul was a created human being living in a fallen world, redeemed by the blood of Christ and looking ahead to Jesus' return and the new creation. Just as we are if we're following Jesus today. We are human beings following Jesus. And I hope that the very ordinary, very human aspects of these verses encourage us in embracing our identity as human beings, of being created, of being embodied, of living in the reality of this world, of living and ministering alongside other human beings who are following Jesus, and of how important these human relationships are for us. Remember that Paul is in prison in Rome. He's alone, he's abandoned, and 
He knows that one way or another, his end will come soon. And we might imagine him catching a glimpse of the gleaming metal of the executioner's sword, which really focuses his mind and enables him to write with such urgency to Timothy. So as Paul anticipates his final long months, what do these verses show is on his heart? Well, he longs for friendship, for warmth, for spiritual encouragement, and for the gospel to keep going out. He writes of his situation, verse 9. Look down with me at verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, who loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. We'll leave it there for the moment. Paul wants Timothy to come and, come and join him and support him. Sadly, Demas has deserted him and gone to Thessalonica. Demas was formerly a close ministry associate of Paul. Uh, and there's not actually any indication that Demas has renounced his faith or even left ministry or left the church or anything. We're just told that Demas went to Thessalonica because he loved this world. And that might indicate that he didn't, whilst he didn't abandon the faith, he opted for a situation where there might have been less hostility or a warmer reception or where the cost of following Jesus wasn't quite so high. Perhaps Demas followed the way of comfort more often than the way of the cross. Perhaps Demas cared more for his own convenience. And if we're honest, we, we all feel that pull, don't we? Perhaps, perhaps you too have the experience of, of knowing those who haven't completely walked away from the Christian faith, but have offered have opted for the way of comfort in our culture rather than the way of the cross. And that is so sad to see and to experience. And it brings with it its real disappointments. The deepest hurts can often come from those that we love the most. Sometimes those that we've ministered alongside. And yet at the same time, we know that that way of comfort and convenience has its appeal. I think we all tend towards the easier option, don't we? We're all in danger of loving the things of this world. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We read that Christians and Titus have gone away too, though it seems for them that was for much better reasons, possibly church planting or mission of, of some kind. And even when there are really good reasons for people moving on from a church or from a particular situation, it still has its cost. When we planted Redeemer Church in 2017, we we sent 80 adults and 40 children, all of whom were at the heart of the life of this church. And there was a very human cost to that. Even though it was a wonderful thing to do, we, 
we miss those people, some of the faces on the screen. I don't see so much anymore. We miss them. And as well as cheering them on, we miss them. And they've now moved into the old town hall and they're getting probably 230 people on a Sunday now. And actually on, on Wednesday, May the, the 31st, a date for your diary in the evening, we're going to have a, a joint prayer and praise uh, in the old town hall, Cornerstone and, and, and Redeemer. And we praise God that he's brought even more new people to Cornerstone in the six years since then. Many of you included. The flour and the oil did not run out. And as we prayerfully seek the Lord for church planting and revitalization in Nottingham in the future, there will be a a human cost to that as people move from here to serve in and settle in other church fellowships around the city, as well as obviously most people staying here and, and serving and welcoming people that are new. But the point is, we are human beings. And there's a relational cost to the progress of the gospel. The point is we're human beings. If you remember nothing else today, remember you're a human being. Then we come on to Luke. Ever dependable Luke, he's still with Paul and as well as asking Timothy to come, he asks Timothy to bring Mark with him. Now this is fascinating. Because Mark had previously deserted Paul on a missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15. Mark had previously deserted Paul, but by now, by this point, Mark has been restored. And see what Paul says about Mark. He can say of him, he, Mark, is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that wonderful? Maybe there are some here today and you know that you've, in the past, that you've, you've let the Lord down. Or you know that you've even deserted his people in the past and you've repented, you've, you've been forgiven. But perhaps in some way you still feel a, a sense of uselessness Well, if that's you, then be encouraged by Mark. Because he once more was restored and became useful to the Lord and to his mission. And if you feel like you've let the Lord down in the past, then I'd really recommend you listen to Colin's sermon on John 21 from the 7 p.m. last week about Peter's restoration after his failure. So pastorally tender. And be encouraged by Mark. You know, when we add up all of the names in the New Testament letters and in Acts, there are at least a hundred people alongside whom Paul was laboring for for the gospel or had done at some point. There are 15 of them mentioned just in, in this section. He was very much a team player. So perhaps this was one of the reasons why it was so difficult for him when he was so isolated. And then if you look down at the end of the passage, there are more people named in verse 29 onwards. Greek Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Renesiphorus, 
Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The passage that we're in today reflects the tragic experience of defection and opposition and isolation. But more than that, it resounds with joy and with the buzz of of gospel partnership with a, a wide network of people. And the very fact that Paul spends time naming, naming specific people, that assures, the, assures us of their and our significance. Priscilla and Aquila were a husband and wife team who served alongside Paul in ministry in Corinth and in Ephesus and Rome. They were now back in Ephesus. And they were a very significant couple whom we can learn a lot about leadership and ministry from. And also, all of this highlights to us the importance of Christian friendships in continuing following Jesus. And of the, very, the importance of very ordinary, practical things as a human being. So verse 13, verse 13 is a great example. I love that verse 13 is in the Bible. Look at this with me. This is in the Bible. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. parchments. Now, put that verse on social media or pin it up in your, on your notice board or whatever. I love that that verse is in the Bible. Why? Because it shows that the great apostle Paul was a frail human being with ordinary human needs. He was embodied. He was limited. He was truly human. You know, in our verses today, Paul asks for people to keep him company. He asks for a cloak to keep him warm in the winter that was coming. And he asks for books and parchments to keep him occupied and close to the Lord. So let's not pretend that we are not human beings with these very ordinary needs. We can ask God for these things. I want us to embrace who we are as created human beings. And you know, one aspect of that is human friendship. Human friendship is the loving provision of God for humankind. Let me share a couple of quotes from John Stott. Wonderful as both the presence of the Lord Jesus every day and the prospect of his coming on the last day, wonderful as they are, they are not intended to be a substitute for human friendships. When our spirit is lonely, we need friends. When our body is cold, we need clothing. When our mind is bored, we need books. To admit this is not unspiritual. It is human. We are human beings. And I think one of the most encouraging things from these verses is that Paul asked for friends and he asked for a coat 
We're human beings. And the Lord is with us in that. So we see true humanity. We also see true church. I wonder what are some of the high points of church life that you can remember? And what are some of the low points of church life that you can remember, either here or elsewhere in other churches? There are times of joy and celebration, and there are also times of deep sadnesses, when people are bereaved, or when there's harsh disagreements. And Paul experienced a full range of these circumstances throughout his ministry. We get a glimpse of it in our verses today, and we see it more fully across the New Testament. And also in these verses, we get a window into Paul's strategic thinking about churches. Who was needed where? We see something of how he seeks to deploy his team in a strategic way. You see, although we've seen that Paul is true, we've seen his true humanity, he isn't self-obsessed. He's not navel-gazing. No, his eyes have been lifted to all God is doing in the region and in the health of the churches in the area. He spent a lot of his time in leadership, investing in people who can then be deployed strategically to different places, investing in those people, maintaining relationships. You know, it's so easy for us just to become self-consumed, self-obsessed, isn't it? Even even just about our church. But God is painting on a much bigger canvas. And he wants us to look up and see all that he's doing in this city and to the ends of the earth. And he wants us to see how we can develop partnerships. Now, I learned something this week. I learned that uh, there's a village called Whitwell in Rutland, small village. Sometimes people have said that there are more ducks than people in this village. And on the road into Whitwell, you will see this sign. And it says, Whitwell, twinned with Paris. Now, that seems quite unlikely, doesn't it? But apparently, the story goes that in 1980, regulars from the local pub decided that they wanted to twin the village with Paris. So they wrote to the then mayor of Paris, Jacques Chirac. They proposed the link and gave him, well, quite a tight deadline for a response, just a few days. And they said, if we've not heard anything from you, we'll assume it's going ahead. Anyway, no answer arrived from the mayor's office by the set date. And so the village unilaterally declared itself to be twinned with Paris. They erected, first of all, a wooden road sign, to that effect, and uh, eventually they were replaced by uh, a proper uh, uh, sign by Rutland County Council. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not recommending that as a model for gospel partnership, but rather we are to be looking to work in partnership with others for the sake of the gospel and so that more people can have the opportunity of following Jesus. So that's why we've been sharing the plans that Beeston Free Church have to, to plant a church in either Bullwell or Clifton in the coming years and of how we want to explore partnership and support from Cornerstone with that. It's why we've been sending preachers and leaders and musicians to New Whitemore Baptist Church and seeking to support them and 
uh, for, uh, seek the Lord for his will for the future of that church and any involvement that, that we might have. It's why we do other things like send interns and others over to Earlsfield Community Church in Grantham, supporting Daniel and Grace there in a context that's it's very different from our own. It's why we support 20 people ministering in other nations, part of God's global family. We've been praying for some this morning, and there's international worker prayer uh, after the end of this service. Do you know what? When, I, when I'm starting to get self-obsessed, and when, when I'm starting to navel, navel-gaze and kind of look quite inwardly, a great way to lift our eyes, or a great way to lift my eyes, is to pray for our international workers with others. Do join folks at the end of the 11.15 service. So true humanity, true church, and then true grace. And we've seen throughout this series that the true gospel, the authentic message about Christ will always have its opponents. And we see that in verse 14 and 15 and 16. And despite the difficulty of the situations that he's in, Paul's confidence in the Lord is unshaken. He trusts the Lord's sovereignty. He trusts his justice. Though he was abandoned and not given support by people, he was sustained by the Lord and given strength. He knows that nothing can overwhelm God, verse 17. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, the constant, it had very turbulent times, but the constant was that the Lord stood by his side and gave him strength. And Paul's passion wasn't for his own preservation, but for God's glory. A few years ago, the BBC ran a story uh, on uh, landmarks that mean you are nearly home. And the article said this, They're the sites that mean that journey's end is near and the comforts of home await. From towers to trees and works of art, BBC News takes a trip around some of your favourite roadside landmarks that loom large above the landscape. So for some, it was the Angel of the North. For others, the Emily Moore transmitter in Yorkshire. For others, the, the bridge in Buckinghamshire that has the Give Peas a Chance graffiti on it. And if you grew up in another country, you'll have your own equivalents, I'm sure. Well, for me, I grew up in Chesterfield, and so whenever I saw the crooked spire, I knew that I was nearly home. Whenever I saw the crooked spire, I knew I was nearly home. Well, the Apostle Paul knew that he was nearly, truly home. And he could share what had kept him going on the journey and pass it on to those that would follow. And we saw at the start of this passage that Demas had deserted Paul. Why? Because he had loved the world. And actually, the issue of misdirected love is a very significant sub-theme of this letter. Timothy was in Ephesus, and that church was told in Revelation, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. 
You've persevered, persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had, had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. The truth we hold is, in the final analysis, all about the loves we have. Where are the affections of our heart set? On this world or on the, the appearing of Jesus? On the way of comfort or the way of the cross? Who is our first love? Who will be our first love as a church in 30 years' time? The truth we hold and the love we have. Well, let me bring us to verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. And scholars tell us that in the original Greek, that first your is singular. So he's saying, Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit, Timothy. But the second you is plural. So he's saying, grace be with you all. Grace be with you all, the church. Paul ends his letter where he started it. With the grace of God in Christ. We've seen it throughout the book. In the first chapter, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The second chapter, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And now he ends. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. What will Cornerstone Church be like in 2053? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. Tis grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Let's bow our heads as we take a moment of silence and reflect on the Lord's grace to us as individuals and to us as a church.